disgusting. This is the worst place I have ever been on like a holiday destination ever. It's terrible. It's disgusting. There's nothing but people trying to defeat fire. Torched, burnt, totaled. This is what Bald Knob's police chief Eric Valentine's personal truck looks like after someone set it on fire Tuesday night. I can see smoke uh, coming from to the right of it. Valentine says and, uh, the attack the, was elaborate. There was a spotlight. They shot out what looked like a BB gun. Then damaged glass shows the arsonist tried to shatter his window with rocks. Once inside, they used an accelerant to set the 2007 Ram on fire. So my whole back glass was fully inflamed. It, it just burnt the whole inside of the cab. He's like chicken. Delicious! Why did I do why didn't I listen to Jordy? I shouldn't do this. Am I gonna get away with this? Can I, can I go to jail for, for chipping myself in a box? Box wants to join you on your journey of awakening through crystal energy. Let us bring you healing and positive energy every month with crystals picked intuitively just for you and products designed to aid you on your path toward enlightenment. Our goal is to support you as you strengthen your connection with the universe. For $39 per month, you'll receive a delivery of magic and earth medicine. Each month is curated around the theme and your box will include items for the earth spirited and the lovers of all things mystical and natural. Deliveries can include crystals, herbs and teas, ritual tools, altar items, jewelry, essential oils and other lifestyle pieces. Intention setting ritual included in each box. Welcome back to another episode of the Humor and the Abject Podcast. You locking yourselves in a box, shipping yourselves as performance art, moving yourselves to Los Angeles without knowing a single other person's Creedlers. This is Stefan Lee, the podcast studio manager. On this week's episode, it's a fantastic doubleheader. First up, we have performance artist and filmmaker Jordan Wayne Long, a little baby boy with big dreams from Bald Knob, Arkansas. Later, we are joined by Jordan's collaborator, Matt Glass, to talk about their big nasty life in Los Angeles as real filmmakers. It's a Tinseltown massacre, and I'm wielding the bazooka. Bog chuddles, bog chuddles, bog chuddles, bog chuddles, bog bog chuddles. Let's turn it over to your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. I'm Ira Glass. Welcome to Jackass. It's episode 97 of the Humor in the Abject podcast. I'm your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. Good day to you, Screedlers. Are you liking this background music that's going on right now? What about the background music at the beginning of the uh, sound collage for the episode? Did you like that, too? I bet you did. It, it's by my guests that I have this week, and you're going to hear even more of it uh, on the outro. Now, my deepest gratitude goes out to those of you who've recently signed up for Humor in the Abject on Patreon. 
You know, it's only three bucks a month to support the pod, to hear exclusive sound pieces, to read secret writing, and to be entered every single month into a lottery to win your very own custom sound collage from me to you. Head over to patreon.com slash humor in the abject to sign up today. I'm really excited to have gotten the chance finally to have my buddy Jordan Wayne Long on an episode. Jordan and I have known each other for several years now, and he once threw me through a wall uh, from a shopping cart in Boston, Massachusetts. I talked to him about his very wild performance art, and then we brought on Matt Glass, his longtime collaborator in Los Angeles, with whom he operates HCT Media. They are Emmy award-winning filmmakers. I have never had an Emmy winner, to my knowledge, on the podcast before. So thanks for tuning in, and thanks for supporting Humor in the Abject. Here's my conversation with Jordan Wayne Long, and then my conversation with Jordan Wayne Long and Matt Glass. Jordan Wayne Long, welcome to Humor in the Abject. Thank you for joining me today. What's up, Sean? It's really good to see you, man. It's been forever. Yeah, I know. It's wonderful to see you, too. It's been years, I think, at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, where where are you guys in L.A.? Where are you physically right now? We are in Toluca Lake, which is basically North Hollywood and Warner Brothers, where the lot is. So we're, like, right there. Is Warner Brothers its own city? Pretty much. It's, it's, does it have a zip code? Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's where the Animaniacs live. That's mm-hmm. cool. I'm 100% into that. You know this. Uh, yeah. And we're going to get uh, into your life and film work in Los Angeles through HCT Media in a little bit here. And we're also going to be speaking with your longtime collaborator, Matt Glass. But first, I wanted to talk performance art, especially since I got to revisit a bunch of your work recently because uh, I got to write this little piece for Art in America's website. So are you down to talk origin stories? Yes, that, that was super kind to you by the way that was that was a real oh. fun surprise yeah well yeah did they tell you did they tell you what it's for why it, they're i don't want to get to contact you they did but they they asked <laughs> me if i could get them by within three hours they asked Whoa, me if, on, if i image. could if i could get them uh images of every piece of work i had done and, oh, I, God, and so they could pick yeah and i said <laughs> oh, man, everyone sorry. So I di- so I freaking did it, and I, I gave them like forty five images, and then oh and then like a week passed, and then uh-huh. I was like, hey, do you know which ones you want high res of? And they're like, oh, we're not sure yet. And then about an hour before it went live, apparently they emailed me and they're like, hey, do you have this one? And then all of a sudden the article was live and it wasn't oh a, it wasn't a picture that I had ever given them, and I was like, you didn't even use any of them. Oh, anyway, it was really funny, but well, your name, it's the name's taken up ink. Well, not ink pixels, I guess, because it was a web piece. But no, that was really fun. But I got to it was fun because I got to go back through some of your stuff. And I was looking through it and just kind of reminiscing on I mean, we met like eight years ago at this point, right after mm-hmm. you'd graduated from Cranbrook. And I met you when you're doing this kind of strange performance piece at the time. It was called Box Shipment Number 2. Yeah. And that was getting uh, a lot of attention for a recent grad. Um, and so you kind of, quote unquote, ship yourself uh, like over 2,000 miles from your hometown of Baldwin, Arkansas to Portland, Oregon, where I was living inside this custom crate mm-hmm. kind of carried by a cargo van. And over the multiple days that you were in this crate, you only communicated through the Lord of the Rings online 
online video game. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. And and you and I had corresponded a little bit previously over email, but I I met you in person uh, after you exited that box from being in it for like seven days at this pop-up gallery in Portland that Pat Rock from Rock's Box and Janine Jablonski from 1430 had put together. Yeah. Um, so how did you dream up box shipment number two and uh, exactly what were you thinking? Um, well, I was in grad school when I did box shipment number one. There was a predecessor. There was, yeah. So, um, very inventive with the names. And uh, Mm -hmm. I... It's easy to remember. Easy to remember. I, you know, obviously my work deals with uh, PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress. And I was looking at all the different ways that um, people would deal with it. And there was a lot of research I was starting to find out, which I later dug in a lot deeper to. But... Basically, that some video games activate the same side of the brain that traumatic images come from. So, for some people, uh, Tetris will block uh, those traumatic images. So, when they're playing the game, they weren't able to activate those. And, uh, obviously, that that helps them. So, I was also looking at the way that, like, people use online communities to uh, exist and contribute to society and feel... and, and be a functioning member of society without ever stepping outside of uh, their world, of their apartment, or whatever they live in. Um, and this is before like Amazon Prime really hit, and all those things that make it super easy today to never leave. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> but it was this um, idea of just entering into this online community that I had already built a relationship with, so I knew I could like rely on them. And I just wanted to explore that because a lot of the people I played with were either veterans or uh, with severe disabilities or things like that. And, you know, they were the people that helped me. They were the people that showed me the way in this online game. And I felt that that was a positive thing. So really just looking, took those two ideas, um, locked myself in a crate in the kitchen of our grad school, I think for uh, four days and uh, then emerged the first, in number one. Yeah, in number in the one. First box. And okay. and emerged from it during my crit. Um, and then <laughs> and then had a Jesus Christ. And then and then had a crit. You know, for an hour, oh, which is just sure people yeah. busting me for uh-huh. an hour. And so um, uh. it seemed very successful as far as like the conversation that it engaged. And so uh, yeah, um, my artist in resident was like, "Hey, I think you need to do this," but like you need to do something bigger. And I was like, uh-huh. uh, well, how about I ship myself? And she was like, "She was like, well, how would you do that? And I was like, I'm not exactly sure, but I just kind of wrote down on a piece of paper. I'm like, I think I could do this. Like, I, I think maybe I could get Wi-Fi if I did this. And, you know, I didn't think it was going to be, I didn't see it as a problem. I don't see a lot of things as a bigger problem as everyone else does as far as like logistics. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> but, um, you know, they agreed <laughs> Uh, Janine and, and Patrick agreed that this would be great. And so I went home and I did landscape for about, uh, I don't know, it was about four months between graduation. I saved about $5,000 and I just went to work. Just to dump into this? Yeah, yeah, just to dump into it, <laughs> for sure. It's not like anybody's going to pay me for my work. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's hence one of the reasons we make movies is to make money so that we can like... <laughs> Um, and, uh, so did this and, you know, I I was strategic. This is probably the, I have learned so much about how I market things from box shipment because 
Patrick Rock literally said, I'm not going to be able to get anyone to this show. You have to get people to the show. And I was like, I'm the dude who lives in Bald Knob, Arkansas. You live in the town. What do you mean you can't get people there? And anyway, he said, you got to figure it out. All right. So I just, I kind of strategically started thinking about for the first time, like how I get my work out there. And like, I know my work has an entertainment value to it. And a lot of people shit on that. Um, But that makes all the sense in the world to me because that's who I want to engage with. I want to engage with a general audience who enjoys entertainment. I don't, I got so sick of just talking to um, people in the art world. Everyone kind of feels the same way I do. So I'm not teaching you anything by any of this. So like, why am I not trying to talk to everyday people? And if you're shitting on that, then fuck you, dude. I don't care about you. Like, (laughs) that doesn't make any sense. So for me, I looked at it from an entertainment perspective. I'm like, Somebody shipping themselves across the country. This is going to be wild. People are going to find this engaging and stupid. So, you know, <laughs> but for me, you know, it's something like that, a high intellectual framework of stupid, though, like a very, very serious about. Yeah, I don't I, I don't yeah. I, I'm not stupid, I, you know, no. and I know that. But, you know, and my mom always said, like, if you know why you're doing something, then that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what uh-huh. anybody else thinks about you. And I was soon to learn quickly that I needed to really have that base because I was just getting ripped apart. And, you know, because I I set up an email that I sent to a bunch of different places like Kotaku and like, you know, whatever, any kind of gaming platform, Yahoo, those kind of things that I thought would, would care about something sensational like this. And when I woke up in the morning after sending it, I had like 300,000 hits on my website and it had just cracked. I mean, like I was just like, whoa, what happened? And it was everywhere. And that was, that in and of itself would be an hour long conversation, but it was just fascinating. A, how many people hated me because they had formed their own information. They've been like, oh, I got a government grant. And so like, I'm using government money to ship myself. Like, <laughs> cause it's, cause it's art. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, yeah, and, yeah, I yeah. and I hate, and I hate you for that. And I want to, and I want to kill you. <laughs> and so I saved all these emails. They're fantastic. But, uh, oh, man. um, you know, it was this thing where I started getting on like, uh, all kinds of, I did like a radio tour and I'd go from like NPR to like Dave Bob's Detroit show. And I'd just get patched in and be like NPR and it'd be like, oh yeah, like I'm talking about PTSD and all this stuff. And, and then I go to Dave Bob's show and it's like, hey, we've got this guy who's going to shit in a box. Let's talk to him for a second. And I was just, oh you know, and it was my first, it was my first entrance into like, just be calm. And I just like stuck to my script and yeah. they would shut me off in like 30 seconds because I wouldn't give them anything. And I was like, oh, this is easy. And I think that was the first time that like I had been on a national or international scale and I took the heat, and everybody was like, "This will never work. You're gonna die in that box." Or I you'll... thought I thought you were gonna. I mean, I <laughs> I didn't think I didn't think you were gonna die, but I was like, "He's not gonna finish." Right. I right. mean, I just no offense, but no, I just that's... was like, "He's not. He's not gonna fucking. He's gonna lose his mind. This isn't gonna work." Like you're gonna. Not that you were gonna die, but I was. I just thought he's gonna cancel it. Like yeah. there's no way this will work. But in and I alluded a little bit earlier to it got a lot of attention, but you're right. It was primarily gaming sites and stuff, yeah. right? I mean, a lot of art people in Portland turned out for it, but all the stuff as we were kind of emailing before it, or I was working with Pat at Roxbox <clears throat> and 
you were going to come and talk there and do some crits after it. Yeah. And I remember that all the links that we were sharing with people was like, oh, yeah, you have to go to this gaming website <laughs> to read this pre-review. Like, I guess a pre, not, not a preview, but like they were reviewing it before you even did it. But from a gamer perspective, it was an interesting way to think about uh, art getting out into the world for sure. And maybe that seems kind of obvious now in 2019, but that was 2011. And it just the kind of even social media was a radically different climate at the time. So it was very strange that that thing caught like wildfire. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I think what was, what was fun is that that's what I meant it to do. And, mm -hmm. and I planned it and that's unheard of like viral videos. Like if anyone comes to us and wants to make a viral video, we just like laugh them out of the room. We're like, you're an idiot. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> But, you know, that was something that was planned, and I've literally taken that idea and expanded on it, like, for what we do in our business, and and those ideas work, but it it's what needed to happen to get the conversation, and, like, that led to me ended up getting a job at the Industry Lab, which is an offshoot of the MIT Media Lab, because someone had like watched my Cranbrook show and then heard about this and we're like, we need you here. And like, so it's one of those things where it's like, if you know who you're talking to and you know your audience, like they'll find you if you are, I guess, legit and you actually have something to say. And I didn't, I didn't care that millions of people were calling me an idiot. Like the people I actually cared about could see what I was doing. And that's something that like people need to understand. It's like, if you know why you're doing it, it will always be crazy until it's obvious and then everyone will jump on and tell you how they knew. But like any endeavor that you make, like everything seems crazy, especially if it's if it's adventurous, if it's dangerous, if it's like monetarily scary, like no one else has figured it out. And that's why you're doing it. And that's why you're figuring out your own path. And everybody's going to tell you it's not going to work. But if you know, then that's that's how you win. I mean, that's that's. And, and those kind of ideas like came out of that box shipment. Like I was like, we can do this. Like, like I can, yeah. I can, I can do this. I can, I can, I can make an impact in some way. But anyway, I'm just rambling. No, you're fine. You just alluded to something though, which was uh, the industry lab in Cambridge, uh, Massachusetts, kind of, like you said, an offshoot of MIT's media lab. And um, I was going to ask you too about one of the, another piece that you did there, I guess it was, was it 2012? It was handled piece number one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And could you describe, because that, that was one where I thought that in terms of a performance and kind of marrying sculpture and audience, mm -hmm. not necessarily that piece wasn't as participatory as some of the later ones, but in terms mm -hmm. of using the audience's presence as, as a major part of the piece, uh, could you just kind of walk through for the listeners what what handled piece looked like and, and yeah. what transpired in the like, I mean, it only ran for like, it was like 15 minutes or something, right? Or under 20, something it was like 20, that? It was 20, yeah, okay, which was about yeah. all I could handle. But um, <laughs> Can uh, you describe why you couldn't handle any longer? Yeah, so um, I made, uh, I crafted about 12 um, steel handles um, that were, you know, if you put your both hands on them, they were about that wide a piece. And I crafted 12 of them, and then I crafted 100 uh, fake ones um, out of a mix of concrete and plaster um, called HydraCal. And basically had other people go in and make one route uh, that would get me up to um, a key or a lock that was on top of that I was being locked into. I was hung upside down by my feet. And so there was one route that worked, and then they placed all these fake handles around just to like throw me off. 
and there was a there was a track that was about ten feet long, and it's um it's called like U strut, and it basically I was on a roller, so like I could roll uh from one end of the gallery to the other, and yeah. so, so within this room, it I just I was led in there and locked up with the lights off, and then when the performance started, they just turned on the lights and let me go. So basically. The and you're in like a you're in like a box that you've constructed that has windows cut into it so people can watch this. Right. And the windows like I could have made it to where everybody could watch the whole thing, but that wasn't the point because I was thinking about box shipment and the way that people took information that wasn't true and exacerbated it and made it to something different. So I was like, I only want certain portal holes. And there was like 200 people there. So people had to come up individually one at a time. And every time they would come in, something new would be inevitably be happening. They would go back and tell a story that they thought was true, but it wasn't. And then this just mixture, by the time it was over, no one knew what the hell had happened, even though they had seen it with their own eyes. And so it was <laughs> definitely had this like internet culture to it. And like obviously what we deal with with like fake news and everything like that now that's really those ideas that I had implanted into that. And it was really fascinating to come out after the performance and listen to people tell me what happened. Um, but yeah, basically I just started trying to find my way and there were hidden keys and walls with blood and some of the handles. Yeah. Would, yeah, would, I forgot. There yeah. Was the one, there's one part where you, you imbued a little bit of like kind of slapstick relief yep. into it too. I, there's video documentation that's on your website for anybody who's yeah. listening. Um, that I'll put a, obviously a link to Jordan's website, but there's a, I can't remember the minute marker, but yeah, you're smacking the wall trying to kind of break through to find a key that might help you get out of the space and you hit one and it just like breaks open and just cartoon blood just yeah. pours out of the wall, like yeah. all over you. Yeah, And it's just, it's really insane, but also hilarious in that. And I wonder about the, the audience where they, did you feel like it was a primarily art audience or was it the kind of audience that you were hoping to get to that maybe is just people who heard about this, who maybe are like MIT or Harvard yep. students it was, or just people? It was, you know, people from the art community, but mostly Harvard and MIT people. And like the conversations that I had really after that piece, I think I stayed up to like six in the morning talking with someone specifically who I'm now doing a feature length documentary on that we've. Uh, are very excited about it but you know those are the intellectual conversations I was hoping to get out of it and like it was you know for me I love the fact that there's that slapstick element to it even though the consequences are real mm -hmm. and that just plays in line with like mental illness and PTSD and like you just have to like some things just look comical the way that people deal with PTSD like some of the ways that it manifests are just stupid because like they just don't make sense because it's your neurons just connecting odd things and weird things will trigger you and they seem unbelievable. And so it's like it all like in line with that idea of like the way people look at mental illness. Because if I had an arm blown off, it'd be easy to feel bad for me. But if you just have a mm -hmm. problem in your head, people just think you're crazy, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, so like yeah. that, I'm, I never had a magic trick and I never do have a magic trick in any of my work. Um, it'll look like that sometimes and that's on purpose because I want people to think I'm faking it. I want people to think that it can't be real. So I keep some elements hidden um, besides really counterweight, uh, which is the most painful experience I've ever had in my life besides having the spinal fluid shoot out of my nose in the horse piece. But, um, <laughs> um, you know, that, yeah. 
<laughs> there's Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> Would you? So the counterweight piece that you're talking about that happened in Brooklyn, right? Yeah. That one had a lot of audience participation. That was the first. What ha- What did you ask them to do? Um, I was basically in a, a Jesus pose with. Um, I was locked in in restraints to uh, two wires that went over like a the block and tackle, which is just basically like um, uh, you know, a hook with a spoil on it. And it went down to two pieces of wood. And there was a key to get me out of the lock um, up on the roof. And the only way I could grab it was with my teeth. And so in order to do that, people had to load uh, the two uh, pieces of wood evenly. So they had to do it very slowly um, and raise me up to the roof. And then so I could get it with my teeth. And then they would take them off. And then I would like be able to undo What were the they things. loading onto it, though? Just... Uh, square blocks of of concrete with okay yeah yeah with with liquid in them and different things like that where it would like get on their hands so it was the first thing of like will you help me even if something doesn't go perfectly Uh like it was a very like crude iteration of that but um i thought i was going to get it on the first time i had practice i mean i'd like i'd specifically worked out like my shoulders and everything for for a, a, a big amount of time trying to like make sure that i could handle it and no, nothing, nothing can prepare you. Uh, they brought me up the first time, and the pain that happened uh, after a bit, after I realized that I wasn't going to be able to reach it the first time. Uh-huh. Um, I love those moments because very rarely, I feel like in a performance piece, does something happen that is truly unexpected that like mm. creates an actual real moment, and that's a thing that's undefinable, like. I, it's not defined yet like that weight in a room when when something bad happens and I every piece I do tries to kind of recreate the opportunity for that to happen whether it does or not but you could feel it you could feel, when I missed it I didn't ha- I didn't say anything but everybody knew I missed it and I came back down and I had lost my grip and I was just being like pulled by um, the chains like holding my entire body weight. And when I came back down, I couldn't feel my hand anymore. And like, you see me like trying to get my hands to come back to me. And like, it's, you know, I just made a rule. Like I'm, this doesn't happen until I get this thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means if somebody were to come in and stop it, like, but I kind of set up a thing to where it's not comfortable for someone to stop it. Like they would have to almost go through me to stop it. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I probably wanted that at that point, but I definitely set it up to where you didn't think you could. And so, you know, yeah, I had to do that three more times. And oh my God. do you think about like subjecting your audience to some kind of trauma? Oh, you know, I, like I, I mean, you, I could see you're not in school, but I could yeah. see you doing that in like a critique and being like, can you not put me through this? Oh, I got like, no, you know, I, they had to enact new rules at Cranbrook because of me, because I, uh, <laughs> Come um, on. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. Yeah, I know that definitely was a thing. Like I, I, I felt real bad and, uh, you know, it definitely informed the way I did the rest of the things. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, well, yeah. I'm, I know that you think about this. I'm just, no, I know that there's somebody who's listening who's like, Does, is this guy a fucking psycho? You know, and yeah. it's like, I, we've talked about this. I know that you do consider it, but it's certainly, that's like a knee jerk, I think, response that's understandable. Yeah. People will be like, why are you making me watch this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, that's the thing, like they can leave, but even in leaving, that's a decision. And that's a decision you have to live with, which sucks. And I get it. And um, yeah, that's, you know, 
I, I truly, it's a place for dangerous ideas and it's a place to try and get people to a point, especially with the ones that do have a lot of interaction, try and figure out who you really are. And I've seen the worst in humanity in my performances and I've seen the best and that's just what it is. Nothing's black and white and I don't judge anyone for it. I've seen people who figure out that they're shocking me but they are not being held accountable and they run the batteries out of the damn thing because they're having so much fun doing it. And when I mm. get out, they're like, oh my God, oh, thank you. Like, thank you for letting me just like <laughs> show like this like white heterosexual male, like what for? And I was like, okay, I get it. Like, okay, that's who you are. You know, I don't blame you for it. Like, do I think you're a good person? Probably not at the end of the day, but I understand why you feel that way and that's okay. But if I can get people to a raw sense of who they really are, like that's, I think that's, that says something to everyone and they get to go home and think about it and think about like, am I a person who reacts? Am I a person who goes and tries to help but doesn't know how to, so I do the wrong thing? Am I a person who like assesses and actually goes in and fixes it? Or am I a person who just walks away? And all those are interesting to me and I like everybody, no matter what they choose. But I was I was watching I was rewatching one from 2014 uh, in Portland, uh, and this is after that I'd left, so I didn't get to see it in person. But Impact Piece Number One, and that oh, was yeah. it. One two one two eight boat space. Which yeah. I mean, anybody who's listening from Portland who's been around for a minute probably remembers really cool like gallery studio space on like a decommissioned <laughs> fishing boat. That oh, was God, yeah. Like, 15 minutes outside of town they had great shows and the people who ran it were really cool it was a fun place um but you had uh audience participation obviously built into that one too but it kind of felt like uh they didn't really step up correctly and not that Mm -hmm. not that i'm casting judgment that they did something wrong but it was a setup where people like didn't get what they were supposed to do, um, except this one white guy with dreads who involved himself a few times. In yeah. It. But can you describe that piece and what what were they supposed to do and what ended up happening? Yeah. And I, I'll tell you from the beginning, I didn't believe that anyone would figure any of this out because I had like a... Were they, was it instructed to them or was it just... Because there's like the video documentation <laughs> has an audio thing at the beginning that says, this is what must happen to prevent th- th- this from happening. But yes. that didn't happen in... the that audio wasn't playing in the space. Not at all. And that's something okay. that like <laughs> Okay, so it's kind of And and that's and that's part of that's part of the whole thing about like what you see like mm. oh my god, we have video of this thing and it this is how it happened. It's like no, I edited the whole thing to make yeah, you see yeah, what yeah. I wanted you to see. If I just sure. wanted to document my performance, yeah. I would just put up 20 minutes of handle piece and you'd just see the whole thing, but that's not the point. Because I feel like if you have an opportunity to recontextualize and say something different or say something more, like, use it. So, like, you know, so, yeah, impact piece, it looks like those people are just, like, terrible people. But really, they they walked in this space and they're just like, oh, this guy who hurts himself all the time. I guess he wants to hurt himself all the time. Oh, man, yeah. Well, because it's the same audience that saw you come out of a box after seven days. And they're like, this guy again? All right, he wants to hit himself with giant wooden hammers? Yeah, yeah. And... (laughs) And literally, like, the story of the... I was so mad at the guy who stepped in, but that's exactly what you should... And it's so fun to me when I get mad that I'm not going to get impelled by this thing, which I didn't want to get impelled by. Sure. Well, yeah, but you wanted to know that it was... Yeah. I No, I understand it. This is a very complex kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it was like, you know, it was this thing of, like, I just literally had colors. And, like, I didn't explain the colors, but red was dangerous. Don't get in between here. Like... Black was like, be very careful. And yellow was like, touch it all you want. Like, 
and no one knew the code uh, but that was kind of the mm. point and it was interesting to like watching that footage of those people just kind of standing around and like those nervous giggles and like after the first one gets hit some people weren't even watching and like some people were and they're like oh god this is real and then the countdown of two minutes start happening again and everyone's just scrambling to figure out in their head what's going on and that's when I started figuring out that like wow this is really really interesting just what it says about human nature and like how people have been born and how they've been raised and what that causes them to do or not do and the guy with the dreadlocks literally told me he went to the wrong place fell down a mountain got out of his car and ran all the way down he had like like limbs on him when he came in <laughs> and he was he was high as all get out but he felt compelled to save me he thought that like like an entity had you know spoke to him and told him to save me and that's great maybe they did i have no idea but i love that like grandiose nature of like that guy like came to save me yeah and it's kind of a there's like a spectacle aspect to it too that i think part of what uh kind of captivated me as i was rewatching it was imagine you know you you have edited it and you've you produce this documentation and so as a viewer i can look at it and think oh man why aren't these people stepping in or how can they not figure this out while at the same time if i'm being objective i can think well it's a room full of people and this is somebody's artwork and there's no instructions and like do I want to be the person who steps in and either draws attention to myself or maybe does something wrong or yep. screws it up? So there's all of these different things kind of playing at it. And I think uh, one of my favorite <clears throat> parts of the documentation is a uh, friend of the pod, Daniel Glendening, who's standing in the audience. I think there's one part where I just see him kind of, I can't even <laughs> describe the look on his face, but he's just kind of like staring almost like just in a very Daniel way is the best way to put it. But he's obviously, he's very interested, but there's also kind of like a... He's kind of like a big brother about it. Just like, what is mm-hmm. this guy doing? You know, like, yep. <laughs> this is really great. he's like a very stoic and serious person. So he's really, he's really taking the piece seriously and like thinking about it. But at the same time, he's just like, well, this is, this is foolish. What is right. he doing? <laughs> like, yeah. Really, yeah. Really... It's, it's, you know, I, I got to give it to everybody who lets me do a performance somewhere because the amount of trust that they have to put into me that I'm going to figure out how to, because I didn't know how I was going to take that hit without crushing my chest muscle. Like I, <laughs> from a giant I'm, wooden. Yeah. Like, yeah. I've, I like literally have no idea because it's just in my head and I'm like, I think this will work. And so like their trust that like, I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to be okay. That's a lot. And so it is phenomenal that there are people and there are, universities like Wayne State let me build a 35 foot tower and fall from it like and they were yeah. I didn't even sign anything like they're like cool man you're good like okay um did you have health insurance when you no, did that no 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 <laughs> I, I man when I when I hit that tree and, and had spinal fluid I, th- I thought I was dead like when I had spinal fluid shooting out of my nose like I was like literally I was like film this so I can remember what I look like when I walked. Like I was just like it must like once this runs out I must I'm gonna be I'm gonna be oh paralyzed. My God. And that was you trying to break a horse in like a day, right? Yeah. And the horse ran under a a tree Re- with a limb. Yeah. Too re- low. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Man, that, that still wakes me up at night. Every time I watch. Uh... You know, there's kind of, I mean, they've been around forever, but it seems like there's been this kind of proliferation of Westerns on um, on streaming services and things. And mm-hmm. so I remember watching a couple of them. There's always like the guy who's kind of, he can like break, a, he can break horses, you know, he sort of speaks. And every time he's doing it, I'm watching it, I'm just thinking like, 
man, that's not how it works. You run <laughs> under a tree and then it knocks your head off. Um, well, so that, uh, that piece that you did in at, at Wayne state that you were just mentioning, that's the last one that's, uh, documented on your website. Um, and is that, have you been doing performances since then, or have you primarily been focused on filmmaking? Yeah, I've done, I've done two performances that I haven't edited into videos yet. Um, and <clears throat> one, I built a very large cartoon gun, um, and like cartoon mallets and, but the cartoon <laughs> gun, it worked and it shot and shot it off in the gallery and then, uh, handed it to, uh, a person uh, I, I, you know, a lot of this is just like feeling and feeling the weight in the room. And so I shot this gun off and then I come back and I re cause I had to go reload it. Cause it's this massive cartoon thing. And I go in and I just like shove it in this kid's arms and he just looked ready and he had to like throw his crutches down. Um, and I just kind of like held onto his back and I was like, are you ready? Are you ready? And he's like, yeah, 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 I'm ready. And he like shot it, and and I just kind of kept doing the performance. And <clears throat> afterwards, he was just like the most unassuming young guy. And he came to me, and he was just like crying. And he's like, "Man, I have not picked up a gun like since Afghanistan." And I was like, "Huh? Excuse me." Um, and you know, this like young, young looking kid, and I'm friends with him now. His name's Kevin. He owns a very cool, very cool um, game studio um, in North Carolina. But um, he was just like, man, I needed that. I needed that. And I was like, in one hand, I was like, oh, that's awesome. I did pick the right person. And I do try and rely on my senses to like figure out who need, how I can involve people. Because I don't, I want people to feel uncomfortable, but I never want people to be too... I never want to put people through something that they can't deal with. And right. And, no, and I think it's it's kind of what I was alluding to earlier is that you the the way that we're kind of describing these things, sometimes it sounds like you're kind of holding people hostage. But yeah. in reality I've been to your performances and I know them really well and there's there's no obligation to stick around. Right. It's pretty like you could and I've seen people just kind of be like, nope, fuck this, <laughs> like yeah. walk out of the room. And that's totally, it's not set up in a way where the dynamic is such that you're preventing anybody from oh, no. leaving at all. You're actually usually pretty over in a very specific space where it's quite, you can just turn your back. You don't even, or yeah. leave. you don't have oh, to it be would, involved in it at all. It would kill me if I didn't think about that stuff. It, it like, that's all I think about. All I think about is how the audience is going to respond, how they how they can get out, how they can like be in it or not. And if you want to be in it, boy, you're going to be in it. Like if you want to be in it, I'll take you. But if you don't, you can just turn around and not even look. You can get out. Like it's very clear, you know, that like that's an option. And I don't want uh, it's one of those things. I don't want empathy ever to to come across on me that you need to feel empathetic for me. I just want you to watch it. And what I've found is that, like, I want you to watch it as just like a blank canvas. And I do see people who put whatever they've went through onto me. And that's what I want. Like, I'm just going through something with you. I'm just showing you something. And you can feel it with me and whatever you've went through. Some people laugh because they've never had a traumatic thing happen in their life. Some mm -hmm. people are like, oh, my God, this feels just like when this happened to me. And, like, that's what I want. 
I want people to see their entire life like flash <laughs> before them when they watch something like whether like they recognize something that's happened to them and they're like, wow, I've never talked about that. And that is something that's amazing to me when I lecture because uh, I get to lecture a lot and when I do pieces, I am so fortunate that I have such a group of people afterwards, no matter where I am, that just want to tell me something. They want to tell me something that happened to them because they know I'm not going to judge them. They know I'm not going to like feel sorry for them. I'm just going to listen. And they know I've been through something like that and so I can relate. And that's that's just what people want. Like They just want the ability for someone to understand yeah. and not laugh at them and not think that they're stupid or like they should just get over it. Like If it affected you, it affected you. If it was like, literally, if you came up to me because you read a book and you'd never read that, you'd read that book a hundred times, but that time you read it, it changed your life forever, and you want to tell me that, that means that has just as much validity as like a moment for you as like what happened to me to start me on this journey. So like, like it doesn't matter. Like it, if it affects you, like it affects you the same way. So like those are the ideas that I'm very conscious of. Like I'm, it does seem silly and it's supposed to in some ways and it's supposed to be entertainment, but I'm trying to get at something and I'm trying to get you to think of something. I'm trying to get you to look at your life in a different way. And like, you know, we can go into all that all day, like with some of the fun ideas <laughs> that Dabrowski has and all that stuff. But that's, you know, that's a long well, conversation. But that's part of what's, uh, that's part of what's kind of kept me watching your work for so long is that on a surface level, if somebody just saw a quick clip of one thing, you might kind of form this understandably, like form a pretty quick opinion of like, oh, this is just this lineage of like a Chris Burden kind of person, this or that. But yeah. it's that you have all this additional context where you do speak about it, that you're pretty open about your intentions and kind of the different aspects of it that give the work this, um, for lack of a better term, this kind of softer edge to it, mm-hmm. where it seems like it's it's got all this macho stuff going on, and it's sure. actually really about a totally, the inverse of that in a way that's, I think, kind of poetic. And as, as you go through the work uh, as a viewer repeatedly, that really kind of unfolds and you start to think, oh my gosh, yeah, this is not, uh, this is not meant to shock people. Um, no, not at it, all. It might be meant to kind of shake them up, but mm-hmm. not to shock or 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 put anybody into a, a negative headspace or something. Yeah. So we're going to take a short break here, uh, Jordan, and then we're going to be back speaking with your collaborator, Matt Glass, on what's been occupying your time since relocating to Los Angeles. So uh, everybody listening, uh, we'll be right back. Love it. Eccentric genius and West Coast beat legend Richard Brotigan largely resided in San Francisco, but he spent part of January 1967 living on the California Institute of Technology campus in Pasadena as the school's poet-in-residence. Brotigan had never been particularly fond of LA, which he described as quote this strange, sprawling city of gothic vegetation and casual clothing where I am changed instantly into a child thinking that all 8 million people here somehow work in the movies and quote. Here is his poem, at the California Institute of Technology, in its entirety. I don't care how goddamn smart. These guys are, I'm bored. It's been raining like hell all day long. And there's nothing to do. 
If you've just tuned in, which doesn't make any sense because this is a podcast, I'm here speaking with Los Angeles-based performance artist and filmmaker Jordan Wayne Long. And for the second half of this week's interview, uh, we've got Jordan's longtime collaborator on here, Matt Glass. Uh, Matt, welcome to Humor in the Abject. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So, Matt, you are a musician and a filmmaker. Jordan's originally from Arkansas, but from whence do you hail? Uh, I was born in New Jersey, but I'm from Utah, basically. The classic combo, yes. Yeah. <laughs> All the greats. Um, and did you guys did you guys meet at Cranbrook in school? Yeah, Jordan was there a year before me. And so when I got there, he was sort of the big man on campus, and he told me all the rules and how things worked. Like, um, forget everything Tell me about the know. first time that you guys like locked eyes across the room. When did you know, when did you know it was a friendship meant to be? Uh, well, the first time I saw Jordan was when we had the uh, all the new students met up with the old students at like a little party thing, like and, a hazing uh, ritual. Yeah, he. I think the first thing he did was wrestle with another guy on the floor. Sure. And the second thing he did was jump on top of the fridge and sit up there for a while. And I was like, and I had looked up people and wanted to like become friends with people. So I was like, hey, I heard you're in a band. I was in a band too. And he was like, cool. And that was it. Yeah. And uh, and then after that, he noticed that I had cinnamon toast crunch cereal and Pepsi's and helped himself to that. And then he noticed. But I always paid. Yeah. Well, that doesn't Mm -hmm. still makes nobody else makes me a prostitute. No, everybody oh, else like taking take things cokes. out of the I studio fridge. Yeah, cents every single time. And then he saw that I was watching The Walking Dead. And he's like, "Hey, can I watch this with you?" And he's just like eating my cereal. Nice. <laughs> I shoved my he's, way into his life. Yeah, yeah that's great. Uh, so <laughs> when Jordan when Jordan was doing performances and sculptures and videos and stuff, Matt, what were you working on um, at Cranbrook? Were you doing your because you do these like puppet these insane like stop motion and puppet films is that what you were doing there? yeah so i had, had mostly been a photographer before cranbrook and then when i got there i kind of decided it'd be a good place to take the time to learn how to do like after effects and more stuff in premiere and stuff so i and i didn't want to involve other people because i didn't want them to know how bad i was at it so i would just do it all myself and then they'd see the final mm-hmm. result and be like oh you know what you're doing and then i'd be like i don't really know what i'm doing I, I, I want to say something about along this regards, like at Cranbrook, we help pick the incoming students. And uh, when I saw Matt's work, um, I said, oh my God, like that's what I hoped my work would look like when I came out of Cranbrook. And this uh-huh. guy's doing it before he even gets here. Like, and I was just like, man, I, I figured I was going to meet like a 45 year old man who had already had his career and he's just like, this will be fun. I think you said you thought I was going to be a dick too, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I, <laughs> cool. I think we both like, we both had these like wild ideas about what we thought the other person was. And like, I was pretty mm-hmm. accurate. Huh? You think yeah. so? <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was, it's, it's really interesting, um, even like our working relationship, it's very fun. Like how much it's evolved and like where it's at today. But we can we can talk about that. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. I, I just that's, really that's, respected his work. That's, like before he that's got there. great though. I have a I have this. I don't know what you call it, but I, I am when I meet somebody whose work I really like, but I've I've seen their work and by the level, like the quality of the work, I just assume that anybody who's like that good, just obviously they have to be a jerk. Yes. <laughs> 
but then I meet them and they're nice and I'm just like, whoa, man, <laughs> like this is, it's, it's, I don't even know how to deal with it. But <laughs> I remembered when I came out, when you guys first moved to LA, it was, you moved there at the end of 2014 or beginning of 2015, or, I'm sorry, 13 rather. Beginning yeah, of 2013. Like 2012, 2013. Yeah. You guys have moved out there and, um, I was out there doing like the Los Angeles Art Book Fair. And I remember you guys had just moved into this place and Matt just had like this little stack of like there would just be checks that were coming in the mail. <laughs> and they were like they were like royalty checks yeah. for like weird I nominal had, amounts and stuff like that. Yeah, I had. So I had I've been in a bunch of bands and stuff. And something happened when I got to actually maybe it was a year before I moved to L.A. But we started getting music on TV shows and stuff. So uh-huh. I would just get random checks like every quarter from like residuals from being on like criminal minds in the background and stuff and it was like one of the few things that helped pay the rent at the beginning yeah i mean like surprise rent you he was he was lucky enough to do something cool like that and i went and did construction for a guy in beverly hills and just kept redoing his airbnb every time it broke from like 13 girls like sitting on the toilet so (laughs) at um, the same time yeah at the same time and matt like matt like matt yeah Matt is an anomaly. I'm sorry. I'm just going to keep talking about how cool Matt is. But people, cool. he's so quiet that people don't understand that, like, he's, you know, like, produced fun things for, like, Panic at the Disco and had all this stuff on TV. And he's he's done all these, like, he has all these talents. And, like, people are starting to see it now because, like, people trust us with money. But, like, <laughs> it was... You know, it took a long time for because he was so quiet. Like, other people would kind of reap the benefits of what Matt did. And Matt would help them, like, look really big and really good and stuff. And, like, it's very fun to see that Matt getting what he deserves, like, finally. Where people are like, oh, you're really good at all this stuff. It was yeah. you all can, along. How many How many instruments can you play, Matt? Uh, well, I, I, well, I'm really well, good at drums. Could, I'm yeah. okay at guitar. And then I can do a little bit of piano. I can't actually play piano, but I can write for piano. And then yeah, that's that's all you need, especially with digital recording. Yeah. I mean, right? That's yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. It's embarrassing to show people how I make music because it's it's weird. No, it's fine. If any, no, that I think most people who are trying to like self-produce things um, have kind of taught themselves to use the majority of the different things, and they know what they need to do to get the product at the end. Mm-hmm. But it's like if you're if you're one person who's doing it, it's like you're not meant. You don't have to be a virtuoso at every single thing. Yeah, it's true. If somebody saw how I make like a sound collage, they would just be like, "What the fuck is your problem?" Like, I, would... <laughs> I remember you guys sent me like I've used it in a couple different things, um, and I always ask before I use it. But it's these like tracks that you guys were recording that were like. <laughs> Like <laughs> these Western oh, sound, yeah. like really weird. Like it's like it's in drop D minor, I think, and it's got like Jordan, you're playing the violin or something on it. Yeah, and... playing like a slide, a slide guitar with like a butter knife. Anyway, <laughs> it's pros. like really twangy, but it's like the perfect soundtrack music. And I've ended up using it in like three different performances and like all nice. so much dumb shit but it's just like it's such a perfect um like facsimile of what it just sounds like something is supposed to sound and i don't know if that makes sense but yeah, i guess it does for like television and film and stuff like that that's to be able to find that pocket and know how to write in that that's not easy to come by like yeah to know i think i've what, been lucky that i can, yeah i think it's just exactly what you said i'm good at finding the right sound and knowing when not to give up and just keep tinkering until it hits that moment where you're like oh yeah this is the thing that sounds right 
because I think anybody can do it. Anybody can make music. Anybody can do anything. I just don't think people wait long enough until it sounds right. They just they're done too early. Mm-hmm. And if they had just kept working on it for another, you know, whatever, it could have been better. Or they work on it too long and it never gets released. That's I mean that is the key and as the reason I feel like one of the reasons we're successful. I do feel like we're very good at what we do, but it's because we just don't stop. And and we we do check ourselves, but like we just don't stop. And and that's the thing. Like most people when they graduate grad school, they get discouraged and man, like we've just failed most of the time. You know, but like those things that when you figure out how they work, you know how they work because you failed so many times and only little things have succeeded within there. And then when you get something that works, you you've built every single layer you've built through hard work and sweat and you know why it works. So then you can change it around a hundred different times and use it for something else. And on a very small level, like out of like making movies, like making music is like that for Matt. Like it's just this, he's figured it out so many times that now he can do a piece that's very orchestral and very Matt Glass, but then he can also do something that's like eight bit, you know, like horror film. And it sounds mm-hmm. amazing. And you'll be like, that's Matt. And, and that's because <laughs> like he knows the basics and he knows how many times he's failed at making something, but every Which time something's never. worked. Which is never. Was, uh, <laughs> was the first thing that you guys did together, was it Half Cut Tea, the the web nope. series, documentary series? No. I mean, that's the first real thing we did. <laughs> the first thing that you put, the first thing that you put into public. Well, the other things are in public, but nobody knows about them. We did two <laughs> improvised short films together. More than that. Well, <laughs> two masterpieces. Yes, of course. Yeah. We did one where uh, the Grim Reaper comes after Jordan and they have they just keep missing each other and then they have a confrontation at the end because the Grim Reaper's really sad that he couldn't catch Jordan and kill him and mm-hmm. Jordan makes him feel better. And then we did one movie called The Man Who Didn't Know There Was More Than One of Things. <laughs> the guy who's, he, he, comes okay. ac- he comes across a roll of paper towels and yeah. it kind of blows his yeah. mind. <laughs> okay. That's and I showed that in, a, in a, during one of our crits in art school. And it did not go over well. <laughs> it's it pretty much like pretty much the time that and that idea where like, oh, if you're going to be a serious like Southern artist, like you got to be serious. And like that kind of stuff is so out of the window now, I think like, but then it was like, if you're going to be this, you got to be this one thing. It's like, we wanted to be funny and serious and, and complicated and and like have things terrible you know terrible things that have happened to us but also wonderful things it's like you can be everything and like people told us literally not to work together and like (laughs) and told and and definitely told matt like do not go work with jordan don't go near him yeah 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 so you know why there's all this space it's all this space we (laughs) between us we barely touch um that's great but yeah the the uh web series that i was just referencing half cut t i mean that's where i found out about like jen catron and paul outlaw because you guys were doing that just all the did was there one on haynes yeah uh-huh. yep. haynes riley yeah yep. who, everybody everybody who like has a gallery knows haynes now because good weather he like hustles and he does everything and, yeah but these were people that i like learned about because you guys were going around and kind of doing this I just thought it was like a cooler version, no offense to like Art 21, but just kind yeah. of like a more, uh, a lower key, more fun, like younger people kind of Art 21 that wasn't meant to, meant to present them as like success stories, but rather just kind of like what, what it was like working as an artist when most of them probably had day jobs yeah. too. Yeah, it was definitely about demystifying them. Yeah. And I think for me, doing a lot of the editing on those, I have... 
a weird... Well, I don't talk a lot, so I usually save my words for, you know, very specific things. And the same with listening to people. I zone out so fast when people are talking, especially doing art speak. So, like, the editing process was, like, if I just start zoning out, I just cut all that out. So it would be end up being so precise and so simple. Like, yeah, I'm, I make paintings. Done. And that's, like, where you cut it. Yeah. You don't have to hear, like, all the big words they can say. So it just became yeah. so basic and so honest and it just made the artwork more impressive because they didn't need their words to make the art good we just needed their actions and the actual pieces themselves and that shows you who you really are is like the things behind it and like we got this really like because i would interview and we got this really cool nonverbal language between shooting those Mm. because we knew what we would never ever use and it would be the (laughs) most and we knew the most important it was the most important thing that they thought they said about their art, and that was the most worthless. And it's nothing sure. against them. It was just yeah, like yeah. you you say everything in between so emotionally well about your work, except yeah, for when yeah. you're actually trying to talk this like art speak. And that was well, something yeah, because they know. that was their polished version that they got out of critiques with or something like that. But we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have been there if we didn't find them very interesting. So and half like, cut tea turned into uh, HCT media, which is what y'all are doing today. Um, mm-hmm. But Jordan, could you explain what a half cut tea is? To uh, yeah, a half cut tea is basically. Um, <laughs> A half sweet, half unsweet tea. So, like most of the time, uh, sweet tea is made with about a gallon of sugar, and it's a little too much for me. And so, it was this like, it's just how I always drink my sweet teas. And for Matt and I, it was just this, <laughs> this uh, extremely logical name for a thing. I don't. Know, we went through it iterations. Was like, yeah, looking at like, is there a magazine called Fructose? I think. Yeah. Just looking at all the odd art things. Just kind of making fun of it. I think chai latte was an option also, just because that's the drink I had. (laughs) Right. The website was already taken. Right. And then we became the lengthy cup at one point Uh. for our comedies, which makes all the sense in the world because I'm long and he's glass. It it made all this. That's great. Yeah. We we accidentally ripped off Aardvark Hot Sauce's logo. We did. I'm so sorry about that. We pulled that. (laughs) It's been pulled from (laughs) No one's ever seen it. It's great. Um, when you guys when you guys relocated out to LA um, was the terrifying was was were you going there to become filmmakers was was it a true Tinseltown dream I think so yeah yeah and we didn't want to do it on we we didn't we made a pact with ourselves not to work for anyone else which is smart when you're going out into LA and sarcastic yeah being sarcastic we we didn't want to work for anyone we only wanted to make and sell our own stuff (laughs) <laughs> and we had three months of rent to figure it out. Uh huh. And How'd it go? well, I mean, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> and but I, mean, I know that sounds insane, but I completely believe in just you have to say it. If you if you can't even say it out loud, if you can't even say your dream out loud, it will never happen. If you cannot, and like I'll give it up to Matt. Like Matt is a very practical person. Like he's always the one that like. Like keeps me like I mean I think we've like came from here me being up here and him being down here and like we're more like this now um, but like as far as like he would be the one who like it's you know Wait, why we gotta am I so watch low? what are we talking about no like I'm talking about like <laughs> like I'm up here Matt's down here no he's got a little he's got a little up there <laughs> I'm the one who's like the ever the optimist and I'm like we can figure this oh. out it's gonna happen and Matt's the one down here is like okay but 
we got to watch out for like these hundred things we have to think about. Otherwise, it's <laughs> never going to happen, man. And I'd be like, we'll figure it out. And he's always the one, no, like we really got to figure it out. I'm like, okay, let's sit down and figure it out. But it's, <clears throat> it's that, you know, we had three months uh, t- to figure that out. And we just started making and we set our own deadlines and we we told the world that we were making an episode every two weeks when we didn't even have a person to make it on and like it was just like reaching out to artists people we love trying to get a hold of them like trying to sell them on our own which we ended up doing and it was just this like we knew that there was a million things that nobody was going to tell us because no one wants you to know how to make it out here and we knew Mm -hmm. that we just had to dig in and start going to figure out the answers and like i think like four four days ago in a meeting, I figured out a new thing that I had never known before. And it gives me so much power. Um, and that's something you can never learn in grad school. It's just something that you have to come across the right person. And so we were just like, we just have to get out there and, and go. So you guys were making the docu-series. And then what were some of the early projects that you ended up like getting work for in LA? I feel like I remember... I feel like I remember like you got linked up with David Arquette or something at some point or maybe yeah. like, and also like Jim Henson Studios. Like Yeah. That we had when Jim Henson came on. We met David about three weeks after we got out here be, or no, probably about three about, months. Probably three weeks after we uh, Sean was out here. Yeah, after Sean was out here. He Fuck. came to later. He came to he came to <laughs> our studio and he thought he was come walking into a big production studio. So he was on the phone and he walked in and just kind of laughed. And he was like, guys, I think I'm in the wrong place. And we're like, who are you here to see? And he was like, HC, he's like half cut tea or something. I was like, that's us. And he just <laughs> laughed. And instead of walking out and leaving, he just sat down. And he's like, it's just you? You guys? And we're like, yeah, it's just us. And we're like, you want to work on something? And he was like, yeah, I've got some ideas. And we'll say, well, bring them. Oh, Lord. So basically... You know, that's kind of how we took our weaknesses as just two people and we just figured out how to make them our strengths. So, like, we could get in places other people couldn't because we were a small crew. We um, we could go, yeah, we could go anywhere. We could film in L.A. And people don't know, but, like, if you have a crew of less than five, you can shoot on the street and not need a permit. And so, like... Legally just, or just because you don't get caught? No, legally. Oh, wow. And so a lot of people don't know that. And so we just figured all that stuff out, and we realized that it made it look bigger than we really were. And then slowly, I feel like we are now as big as we, you know, made ourselves look. And, you know, now we... It's crazy because those relationships, you you get screwed over a lot of times, and you learn from them. And then sometimes you find people uh, like your David Arquettes and stuff that you're like oh, wow, like, you cared about us before we were anyone. And you've always treated us well. And, like, now we are producing partners with David and and his wife, Christina, who's a, just a monster in the producing field. And, um, you know, that's that, that came from us just, like, not really deciding we didn't want to work for anyone unless we wanted to. And mm-hmm. we, we didn't want to have to work for anyone. And, and also not rushing relationships. Like, so we met David Arquette six years ago mm-hmm. and like it was never like hey we need to make movies together hey be in all our movies do no. all this stuff with us we just let the relationship like grow as it needed to grow and then eventually it paid off and the same thing with the jim henson company thing we met this guy through i don't know friends of yours yeah in 2014 it was just a nice coffee meeting and then it was a year later we didn't bug him we didn't talk to him a year later he just happened to contact us because he was keeping been up watching on the, yeah, keeping up on the stuff we do yeah. and he brought the project to us and that seems to be 
you seem to get better projects if you just wait and let people come to you. I mean, you can't just do that all the time, but you just end up with better quality stuff when people trust you enough to approach you about yeah. stuff, I guess. And and I mean, that's God, that's it's it's insane how if I could tell everyone that because you see so many people come out here and almost be too enthusiastic and too enthusiastic about the wrong no. thing. <laughs> but they're they're too enth- like we don't like we probably had a beer at a bar I don't know one time since we've been out here. You never. Yeah. But like that's just we don't do that. We don't go and like I don't know. We just don't go and do the hustle of LA. Yeah. yeah, that's not us and it never has been and it, and we just work on our stuff. And what we realize is that like we just keep putting stuff out. Like even if we didn't have a job at the time, then that's the time we would make something for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we would just do it. And we'd make things for like 20 bucks or 150 bucks. And we'd make an entire short film for it. And we just started figuring out that we took everything from the documentaries and figured out how to be light on our feet and just keep making. And we realized that we were getting all of our jobs from the job we are currently making. Never something from something we had already made when we first started. People were just like, holy crap, these guys just don't stop. And, like, I better jump on before it's too late. And, you know, you start finding really good people. And you can't rush those relationships. Like, we never ask anything from any of those people. Um, and when we got to a point where we could help them, then that's what happened. And yeah. um, and that's so important. It's hard to learn that language out here. But I feel like that's the way to go because you're actually authentic about it and you're actually like we're going to make films no matter if anybody's coming along or not and once people figured that out more people wanted to jump on and more people trusted us you know yeah and you guys have you guys have some emmys we have seven (laughs) what (laughs) What do you mean you have seven emmys yeah we 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 (laughs) um and you know do you have are they like physical objects yeah yeah, you have like statues. Yeah, there's like oh, yeah. yeah, Matt will go get a couple. Um, uh, I've got three over here, and he's got Ford House. I, I we we've never told anyone this, but if we would have had the money to pay, because you have to pay to be considered for oh. Emmy. So there were things that Matt and I directed together, and things that Matt and I produced together um, that we didn't have enough money to pay to be considered, and so Matt paid to be considered for directing one thing that we did. I paid to be considered. To for something we produced, Got and it. then we ended up. Matt ended up, you know, winning the directing thing, which we both did, and then we ended up winning best documentary. Which holy we, shit, Matt! We, well, the listeners can't see this, but he's now shoved two fucking <laughs> Emmy awards, uh, just sitting in front. Oh, I'm no, so sorry. <laughs> I get to two Emmy awards on the um, table in front of the uh, webcam. So that's what that's. I'm I'm getting to stare at them through their through their I awards. It. I love it. Um, <laughs> But you know it's it's that thing where, uh, yeah, and I guess I guess we we ended up getting seven because there was only three people that shot the doc that won. So you get an award for best cinematography, which was us. You get an award for directing. You get an award for everything. Composing, composing, and and uh, all that stuff. So yeah, it's just how it goes. It's so, it's Wait, so, it fits right there. It does. Oh, that oh yeah, nice. I got it. Don't worry, I got a screen grab of that. Um. <laughs> But uh, um, 
And you guys were, but you guys were primarily working in documentary stuff. You're working mm-hmm. in some documentary television and things like that. But last year, um, right at the end of last year, you guys put out, was it your first feature narrative? Yeah, Squirrel? that was our first feature narrative. We've done probably 14 or 15 fiction short films. Uh-huh. And we worked for Paramount on the Arrival film. Uh, we shot like their marketing campaign, which was like 12 videos and that was really funny because they gave us an allotment of money and we recreated the arrival set inside of our house and had the actors I wish come we over. Had a, we don't have a picture of that. I wish we did. I think I have some somewhere, but it's one of those things where like, you know, something that we had to start doing is people would come over and see how small our setup was and we would uh-huh. shoot and they would be so bummed and we would shoot something for a bit and then, <laughs> and then Matt would take it back. Matt would take it back and color correct it and bring it back out and you just Fix see the look post, on their face yeah. like, oh, oh, cool. Okay, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> so that's pretty much sums up our life. People just come uh-huh. in and look at us like, you guys can't do this. And then we show them something they're like, okay, okay, I believe you. I believe okay. you. Um, and what's Squirrel all a... about? Hit it, Maddie. Hi, I'm Matt. Um, <laughs> Squirrel is a movie about two people who are lost in the woods and they stumble upon a strange cult that harvests a reddish maple syrup that has healing properties. And the cult is going through hard times and their healing properties are fading. And the bodies being found in the woods. Yeah, it's, well, it's, it starts off in the Revolutionary War. And in the middle of it, there's a chicken bar mitzvah. Okay. And it, yeah. it's everything in between. If that makes sense. Yeah, it should clear when you see it. It'll make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But like, (laughs) and and, you know, and like, not only being a film, but for us, we had sold documentaries and we knew how to do that. But like, we didn't know the process of selling a fiction film, and we had second unit directed like Karen Gillan's film over in Scotland, and we had done all these things that everybody had told us like, once you do this, you're gonna get money to make your own feature, and then it just never happens because everyone lies. (laughs) And <laughs> yeah. so, um, so we just decided that we were going to do it ourselves. And, um, <clears throat> we literally put it out in the world that we were making a feature film. And within a week, people called us and said, is there any room left to invest? Really? And yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. That's a hundred. When we were going to make the film with or without money and, <laughs> and, um, and I'm not kidding. Like it was going to happen and it, we got funding and we made the film and it's been exactly what it needed to be because we haven't we haven't uh, even finished selling it yet. But it did. It got us into all the rooms. It did. People saw what we accomplished for what we did it for, mm-hmm. and no one questions us anymore. Like That's now, great. you know, we we we're doing our we're producing our our next, and I can't wait for people to see the film. But it's as important of a experiment for us to learn how that world worked how that world sells films, what they value, what they don't, how we get our stories out there. And it did all of that, and it's done all of that already. And so, yeah, so that, you know, it's one of those things where, like, you just have to do it. Like, no one wanted, no one's wanted any of the things we've made, <laughs> like, besides, like, three things. No one wanted it when we started it. And that's the uh-huh. thing artists need to know, is that no one's ever going to ask you to make something. No one cares yeah. about you. And, like, you just have to do it because you have something you need to say. And, you know, it's led to where we're at now, um, which is, you know, we're producing a half a million dollar feature. And it's produced by HCT Media. And we're in charge of everything. And 
and it's up to us and that's a very cool position to be in and we also just got um our next feature film uh documentary funded um all within the last month so we kind of have our year planned and Shit. you know and we're very we're very proud of that fact that we never we we came out here and we said we didn't want to work for anyone and we don't oh yeah we, we, i mean we i was yeah I was there when you guys moved into that place in Culver City, and I remember I slept on Zach, Beverly okay, Fresh, and I were visiting. Everything. Yeah, and we I slept on the floor, and I think Zach oh. maybe slept on the floor too. You had the box from Box Shipment was in there. Yep. Um, and you guys, I think I don't know if you had beds yet, but it was a pretty Spartan <laughs> setup. And uh, you guys were like, "We're gonna be, we're gonna make movies," and I was like, "Okay, yeah, sure, you know, you do." Keep doing you that. Do I'm really excited. No, I mean, I was there at a fucking zine fest. Who am I to talk? No, but it's <laughs> it's been a pretty amazing journey to kind of watch that stuff and see how much you guys just kind of like said, we're going to do this and pretty much just did it on your own in the sense that, like you said, you didn't try to go work for other people or take... I mean, I'm sure you had to do things to make money, but in reality, like you kept your creative vision pretty solid. And that's, uh, that's certainly something to kind of, I mean, it's only been, when did you move out there? 20, like five years ago? Four years? Six, six years. years. Six years. Six okay. Years, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Cause it was like January, 2013 when I was there. Wow. So yep. what a difference that makes. Um, <laughs> Well, boys, I want to say thank you so much for, for coming on here and talking shop today. I, I wish that I got to talk to more people who made movies, to be honest. And I, I was just about to say, but I live in Austin, and now yeah. I'm going to shut up because that's, really, that's a terrible excuse. Um, that's where but, they all live. Yeah, <laughs> but so it's been really cool to talk to you both. Um, I mean, just the amount of shit that you guys have put out, and sorry to call it shit, I don't mean that, you know what I mean. No, the yeah. amount of things Some that of you it. put out since I met you is yeah. unreasonable <laughs> Thanks. Quite it's, it's pretty impressive. And it's, you know, so. it's like, and we, and we're acting like it's just me and Matt <clears throat> and it was for a long time, but you know, we have an incredible team now and we're actually getting to change the way that like people get paid out here for indie films. We're getting to change, like we're getting to get control, control of these budgets and, and divvy them out how they should be. And like, there's a thing out here just with artists, but like with indie filmmakers, like if you work on an indie film, you're pretty much like still don't have a way to pay rent. Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't be like that. Yeah, yeah. It's about finding like good people for the job. And we're really proud of like how that is and like how our next film is like by a very, very like amazing female director. And like that stuff's important to us because we know we didn't get, we didn't get the time of day that we deserved. And, we, and there's so many other people that don't. So it's very fun uh, to be getting to that point where we get to call the shots a little bit and Hell change yeah. it. And that's what you've been doing too with like humor and the abject and like the way that you see the art world, like we know how stupid it is. And like, <laughs> and it's we, we, you know, and you know, that was what half cut tea was, was showing people like, man, these people make work. That's just as good as the people that make it on art 21. It's just cause somebody thinks they matter and nobody yeah, thinks yeah. they do. Yeah. And that was the whole idea behind Half Cut Tea, was to like showcase people that weren't getting the time of day. And it's fun. It's fun to see people like you and like us and uh, tons of other people in the world that are like actually trying to do something. So it's very fun. Well, thank you kindly. I, I don't mind getting a few compliments if you want to get 
but but for real thank you guys so much um really excited to see what you do in the next year and to everybody who's out there listening we'll catch you next week you want me to speak into this mic right here yeah that one right there all right you just uh say what you feel now let's see what we got on the old brain